entering the Freedom Hut. Will Mustache Bolton sink Trump's ship? Plus, CNN shows us who they really are. A bunch of smug libs. Washington Post suspends a journalist for some tweets about Kobe Bryant's terrible accident. And then, what about Western civilization and art is triggering to other civilizations and their art? We'll get into that coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Man, from NYC. Always a good day here in town. Appreciate you spending the time with us. Producer Mark is fired up today. He got a good night's sleep, apparently. I got a good night's sleep. We have quite a show in store for you. Let's kick it off with Bolton straight away. Mustache Bolton. Right. Isn't there a Beatles song, I Am the, I Am the Walrus? Right? Isn't that a... Or is it a line, a line from a Beatles song? Because the, must, the Bolton mustache is walrus-like, and I respect that the guy's willing to go out on a limb in this way and be so devoted to a particular style of facial hair. Somebody who is new to the facial hair game, respect for Bolton on that. But some disrespect on some other things should come Mr. Bolton's way. And I guess that's where we start this today. Why would a former senior advisor to any president, never mind this president, think it is appropriate to write down everything that was said in meetings and then Use some of that, at least, to publish a book so that the public can know what was going through the president's mind and how he reaches the decisions that he reaches. Notice how this is very much out of the Comey playbook. You see these bureaucratic infighters, people who have spent a long time in the corridors of power and government, often have competing emotions. And this comes from my time in the CIA, dealing with not just the most senior CIA folks, but also other people throughout the government, all the way up to the president. I had briefings in the Oval Office with the president, the vice president, national security advisor, and so on and so forth. And when you spend some time in those policy circles, you get the sense very quickly that you have people who are both frustrated. They feel frustrated and and underappreciated because their genius has not been fully embraced by the rest of their government peers. And then there's also quite a bit of arrogance because they've had this power and they think they really know. They're the one that is best suited for this job. They're the one that needs to maintain the perception in government circles and even more importantly in many ways outside of government that they have a wisdom, an insight that other people would not bring to the same role. What is that really based in? I don't know. I don't think you could really point to anything in particular. In fact, I have popularized what I believe now many people uh, understand to be uh, a, a truism about these government agencies and these government positions, which is that they're very hard jobs to get. That doesn't mean that the people who get them are impressive, highly skilled and worthwhile. Just because it's hard to get, you know, it's hard to win the lottery. It doesn't mean a lottery winner is a genius, right? I mean, that's a simplification of this principle, but you understand where I'm going with it. 
So Ambassador Bolton, you look at him and you ask, well, what exactly are the big foreign policy successes that this individual has? Does he feel any, even a little bit chastened over the Iraq war? No. Does he feel like there has been a really now multi-decade failure in the war in Afghanistan to even understand what we are doing there other than prevent the Taliban from taking over the country and defeating the allies that we have spent billions and billions and billions of dollars training, equipping, and trying to assist. Perhaps maybe people feel that that's enough of a mission, but then we should at least be honest about it. There is no future in which a stable and democratic and worthwhile from a nation-state perspective Afghanistan exists. It's always going to be this difficult, violent backwater of a country. And that's just something that we may have to accept. I would prefer there was honesty from policy circles, though, about this. Why is Bolton someone who has this job of national security advisor? Well, it's in no small part because he was making the rounds as a pundit on Fox News. He had visibility to this president, to Trump, did not come from the left wing media swamp. And as we see with Trump, if you were good enough on Fox and known in those conservative circles, it's very it is a very useful springboard to some of the most powerful positions in government. And this doesn't this didn't always result in a good outcome. Just look at the mooch. Hey, the mooch. Senor Scaramucci, who is really reveling in his turncoat status against the president. I mean, this was a fellow who I remember. I sat on a, a panel on Maria Bartiromo's show once, and we had we had the mooch come in, and he was almost the Trump whisperer. He was an individual who came in to tell us what was really going on in Trump's mind and his heart. And all of it was that Trump is a genius. He's amazing. He's fantastic. And then when the mooch really self-destructed, it wasn't even you can't blame Trump for the mooch calling a reporter and going on some really shockingly profane. I mean, I do use salty language in private life, but not like the mooch does. Shockingly profane tirade and got himself fired from the White House. Speaking of people getting very important, very senior jobs, White House communications director, Scaramucci, special advisor to the president, Omarosa. I mean, you go down this list, the president's, I, I mean, I'm amazed at actually how successful he has been given some of the, quite honestly, uh, unforced errors that have been made, right? I mean, the fact that he withstood the Russia collusion ambush, which is what it was. It was a coordinated ambush from the deep state, the left, the Democrats, trying to undermine this president. The fact that he was able to do that is remarkable. And I, I think it would have broken a lesser man. I don't know. I don't know if I would have been able to handle in Trump's shoes all that pressure, people going after, trying to use the weaponize the Department of Justice to go after your children, to go after your family, to go after anybody who's close to you. That's intimidating, even when you're the president of the United States. But on the personnel choices he has made, I, I can make no defense of Trump in that in that realm. I mean, he just he's I don't know who he's listening to. I don't know why he can't figure this out. And people who sometimes people get mad at me or Trump supporters. And I say, oh, really, are we going to you get some of Trump's most senior people turn on him after he's given them the opportunity of a lifetime to serve their country? And that's what brings me back to Bolton here. What's most important? When I was talking to you about these bureaucrats and their egos and the, the frustration, insecurity and arrogance that all combines in this 
noxious stew. Ooh, I'm, I'm so amazing. But people don't think I'm amazing enough, and I'm the one who needs this job. But it's really about the mission. This ping-ponging back and forth psychologically. What is really important? Using that position to advance the interests of the United States, the American people, or making sure that you get a $2 million book advance and get really big fees on the speaking circuit afterwards and that your policy chums, your buddies, think that you did great work and maybe you'll get pulled into another administration or you'll be made the president of some very cash, uh, you know, coffers full to the brim think tank. Or maybe you'll get pulled in to be on the board of some company, not Burisma, because you got to be a real superstar to get on the board of Burisma, as we know. Apparently, Hunter Biden actually is going to pay the child support that he owes for the child he fathered with a stripper that he initially denied paternity of. And I believe he's also married and his wife is expecting. So he's got his hands full. But he is going to be writing some checks, it seems, before having to go to court to have them force him to do so. I go back to my premise on this of, could you imagine if one of the Trump children had this story? Never mind. the I mean, there's the Burisma stuff and the doing crack and getting kicked out of a, a military post. He only got because his dad was a senator. It's a public affairs post. Gets kicked out of that for failing a drug. I mean, what a mess. But remember, nothing he did was... In any way illicit. Hunter Biden has fantastic judgment. How could you question his judgment? With the crack and the strippers and the out of wedlock lying about birth thing and all that. I mean, who, who could really think that Hunter Biden would make such a mistake, make an error? Of course not. It's malarkey. Utter malarkey. Um, but then that brings me to Bolton again. Uh, this is another reason why the Senate, the Republican senators that are currently... In the seventh day of what is a, a stunningly boring trial, because it's there's not even a, no normal person hears about what the allegations are and says, oh, my gosh, the president did that. First of all, he didn't do anything because nothing happened. And second of all, even if he tried to do the thing they say he wanted to do, who cares? He has the right to do it. They're impeaching the president over nothing. Or oh, they have impeached him, rather, over nothing. They're trying to remove him even that step further over absolutely nothing. And that's why, with the exception of about, you know, three or four million super libs who watch this coverage on TV. And I mean, I don't know how many of them are super libs. That's who watches the coverage. It's probably about half super libs and half people who just care to know, really follow politics closely, conservatives and their other people. But, you know, there is this core of left-wing base that finds all these speeches by Adam Sch And I think it's, it's journalists, for example, they think every Adam Schiff speech is the combination of, you know, the funeral oration by Pericles, uh, you know, the Gettysburg Address, I mean, you name it. I mean, the, the greatest speeches in history, you know. Um, Eisenhower talking about the military industrial complex and all this stuff all the greatest speeches in history and they think that adam schiff is, is just doing that all the time when he's talking about this obstruction and corruption and all the rest of it um mustache bolton should feel uh honestly his loyalty should be to the people of the united states 
And and that means not going along with the ambush that Democrats are running against the duly elected president of the United States on false false slash trumped up, pardon the phrase, pretenses. That's where we are. His book is not as important as not playing into the Democrats' hands here. But again, the president brings in someone of questionable judgment, questionable history and loyalty on top of all of that. I have never been a Boltonist. Um, he is definitely showing us shades of James Comey here. Who was the single most important person in the whole James Comey fiasco? Well, we know it was Comey himself. That's what really mattered. It was never about Trump or the American people or anything else, first and foremost. It was about Comey. Why does Bolton think he's so important that this book needs to drop now at this point? And why should he profit so handsomely off of betraying the very commander in chief whom he was entrusted with the sacred obligation to advise on matter of war and peace. Do we ever get an answer for that? No, every, everybody just gets to cash out. Now, everybody in D.C., all the swamp dwellers get to do whatever they want on either side of the aisle when it's time to fill up their bank account and get their face on television. It's distressing. It's also why I sit here and tell you I, I, I do believe... I believe Mitch McConnell will keep the senators in line here. I, I won't go as far to say that I can predict because Mitt Romney, you know, when Mitt's in it, you never know. With friends like Mitt, who needs enemies in politics? But I do think that they're going to vote to end this thing, that they should just have the vote. Have the vote. Let's see. If they don't, they will not have learned a fundamental lesson of the Trump era which is that if you if you insist on taking good faith actions to try to make the other side like you, when all they've done is take bad faith action and show you how much they hate you, you're not going to win them over and you're not going to win. I've got a better idea. Hey, Republicans in the Senate, let's win. Shut it down. Take the vote. America needs to move on. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, it's kind of ironic. It's coming from the New York Times. Someone telling the New York Times about a book deal about somebody wants to sell the lawyer, a book before an the election. The right. lawyer kind of uh, yeah. confirmed that. that Reg so. Regardless, regardless of all that. Yeah. You go to the fact. Ukraine got the money. They did nothing to get the money. Um, Zelensky, the president, said there was nothing held up. Um, if you base upon that you have the transcripts too, which the whole world does, if you stick to the facts, there's no reason why this carry-ons beyond Friday. If you look at what the Democrats said in Adler when he was in Congress proposing this impeachment, that they proved it beyond a shadow of a doubt. It is not the Senate's role to have witnesses come in. I do not think they made the case. I think they repeated the same thing. I think they went overboard when you saw Nadler and you also saw Adam Schiff say they're going to put people's heads on a spike and others. I think they did everything in their case to make sure that this is ended by this. The, the Republicans have been operating in good faith this whole time. I think too much good faith. And I think that they have allowed the Democrats to gain too much ground for their underhanded messaging uh, efforts. Uh, but here we are, you know, the, the draft of the of the Bolton book seems to have been, or at least parts of it, have been leaked to the New York Times. This is Kavanaugh 2.0. This is the playbook all over again. They've decided that they're not, they haven't won. Everyone knows this now. I mean, the, the, the desperate Dems that go on TV and say, oh my gosh, it was an amazing speech. Look what the, De 
No, no, sorry. Schiff, Nadler, no serious person finds them to be compelling truth tellers. No honest observer in this whole process would turn around and say, yeah, Adam Schiff and Nadler, they really convinced me. I was on the, I was on the fence before, but I've changed my mind because of what they have said. You know, there's there's some different areas. They keep trying to find what will the same way that in the earliest days after the whistleblower, we still don't know the whistleblower is. Why is that? Because the media is complicit in this. What, you're going to tell me the media can't figure this out? They've all got sources, the national security apparatus. They can't figure out. And we already we've it's already been reported. It's Eric Scaramella. Can we find out if that's actually true or not? You know, can we verify this? That's what's been reported. No, no one. When was the last time you even heard that name? And it matters a whole lot who he is and what his motivations were. It certainly does. Because we're, we're in this game of perception. The perception of were these charges brought against the president because of outrage against crimes against the, uh, against the Constitution? Or were a bunch of left-wing activists in the government conspiring to find some excuse because the Mueller probe failed to bring this president down? That's a very important distinction. That's one we should have all the facts we can to answer one way or the other. But they pretend that that's not. They pretend that that's, that's not the case. That's not going to happen. Um, you have also the, the severity of this is now getting. You know, they keep moving what the ground is that they want to have this fight on. The Democrats, you know, where are they really going to focus in? One area is, is, is this even, is this conduct even impeachable? Which from the very beginning, I've said this should just be, I mean, this is where, Trump and his defenders should have should have made the this is where the fortress should have been set up. And this is ridiculous. It's utterly, clearly not impeachable conduct. Nothing happened. And he's allowed to have the conversation he had. And that's it. That's it. But sometimes this White House doesn't have the best messaging strategy. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And so the appropriate question. Were crimes alleged in the articles in the common law of presidential impeachment? In Nixon, yes. In Clinton, yes. Here, no. A factor to be considered as the judges in the high court come, as you will, individually to your judgment. What's a way to gauge the severity of this? You get into this argument about about whether there are whether you have to commit a, an actual criminal offense to be impeached. And I, I think that in, in fairness and in honesty, no, of course, there are there are circumstances under which you could be impeached without violating the law. But when we talk about high crimes and misdemeanors, right? I mean, the language used, the perception of why would this be set up in this way? You look at the history of this process, when it has been used before, and the fact that it has never been successfully, for example, used, meaning that a president's never been removed, should tell us something. It's a very high bar, a very high bar. And was FDR impeached and removed for violating the constitutional rights of Japanese Americans who were put into internment camps? No, of course not. I mean, you, you look at all these other times in history, I mean, you look at Woodrow Wilson, look at FDR, you could look at a whole bunch of presidents and say, well, I mean, they, they violated people's rights. They did things that would be far more egregious, far more egregious than what President Trump has done. So really, this becomes a, 
the reason this is not a criminal proceeding, okay, this is not in the hands of the Department of Justice, it is assessing whether or not this is an outrage without politics. Can, can you take political inclination out of this? And would a normal American be outraged to hear about this? And I know we're in a culture where outrage is so cheap and the media thrives off of it and they're, oh my gosh, they pretend to be freaked out all the time. But when someone sits down and says to you, this is what happened. The president of the United States had this phone call, raised the issue of whether he could get some answers in an area of corruption involving somebody who, yes, is a Democratic contender for the presidency. Uh, does anyone say, oh, that's just too far? The only people who say that are the same people who think the president is a traitor because of Russia, which was a lie. The president is a, a rapist, including this woman who came forward with uh, the allegation from 35 years ago in a department store, went on Anderson Cooper's TV, made a mockery of Anderson Cooper's journalism, um, you know, said, quote, this was the woman who accused him, you know, quote, I think rape is sexy, end quote. That is what the accuser of Donald Trump, that everyone now has just pretended like that didn't happen, is what she said. So the same people who believe that Trump is, is out of his mind, crazy, has to be replaced uh, through the exercise of a constitutional amendment to remove a crazy president, the same people who think the president was a traitor with Russia, the same people who think the president should be removed from the emoluments clause, the same people who think the president should be removed because of the Billy Bush tape. I mean, just whatever it is. Those are the only people who hear about this story and say, yeah, yeah, he should be impeached and removed from office for it. If you don't fit into that category, if you're not somebody who has thought the president should be removed from office for a dozen other things none of which he should have been removed from, uh, removed for, then you hear this and you say no. So when they talk about how there's no crime, I mean, there's, there's no crime against, against dignity, ethics, and morality worthy of being removed from office. I mean, forget about it actually being a criminal statute. There's just no there there. But they'll, they'll try on this and they're hoping to focus in on something that will just give them a little more, a little more leeway. Look, it's pretty straightforward. If you want to take a sports analogy, this is the this is the fourth quarter. And now, you know, now the two teams in this impeachment and removal proceeding, Republicans and Democrats, you know, they're calling timeouts. They're throwing the ball. You know, they're throwing the ball, making sure that it gets out of bounds so that the clock stops. I mean, there, there there's time management going on here because one side just wants to do anything to extend this. And that's the Democrats because they've lost and they know it. They've lost. They did not. They did not make the case. They did not win the perception battle. And Republicans, it's in their hands now. All Republicans have to do. Producer Mark's going to be proud of me. I'm going to use some sports here. All Republicans in the Senate have to do is take a knee. That's all they have to do. They have the ball. The clock is running down. They can take a knee. Why, when the other side has been cheating in every way, you know, when the other side is doing everything they can to make sure that it hasn't been a fair game and you have the ball in your hands and you're the Republican Party, why would you not say we're ending this thing? That's what justice would be. That's what justice demands here. And I worry that there are some Republicans so in love, the same way that John Bolton is so in love with his own greatness and wisdom, that his story and his book is more important than this presidency, clearly. There are Republican senators who I think are more in love with the perception of themselves as the good, ethical, honest people. They find Trump still so unseemly. Ooh, Trump is such a such an odious character that they just want to create some 
separation with him because they're not like Trump. They're better than Trump. That's clearly what Mitt Romney thinks. Mitt Romney, who Donald Trump brought back into the fold and, and was willing to, to help again and was willing to play ball with. And that's one thing about Trump, I will say. Yes, you know, people come and go in his good graces. But if you extend your hand to Trump, he was, seems to me willing to take it even in cases where he shouldn't. But that is, that is the reality of this president, for better or for worse. And this is the reality of Mitt Romney. Bruce and Mark, play clip nine. I've said for some time that I hope to be able to hear from John Bolton. I think with a story that came out uh, yesterday, it's increasingly apparent that it would be important to hear from John Bolton. Uh, I, I, of course, will make a final decision on witnesses after we've heard from not only the prosecution but also the defense. But I think at this stage it's pretty fair to say that uh, John Bolton has a uh, relevant uh, testimony to provide to those of us who are sitting in impartial justice. John Bolton's testimony is relevant. Why isn't Hunter Biden's testimony relevant? How come Mitt Romney won't come out? I mean, if Mitt was really standing on principle and not the greatness of Mitt. Sounds like the worst sitcom ever. Mitt Romney, you know, just walking around following Mitt Romney, how awesome he is. But if it wasn't about the greatness of Mitt, wouldn't you line this up and say, hold on a second. OK, look, I, I want to hear from Bolton, but I also want to hear from Hunter Biden. And then when people say it's not relevant, that's a joke. That's preposterous. Of course it's relevant. The entire Democrat case rests on it was completely illegitimate, unfounded to ask any questions about an investigation involving Hunter Biden and Burisma when any normal, any, any federal corruption prosecutor knowing these facts and the situation would say, yeah, no, that's worthy of a probe. That's worthy of, it's worth looking into what happened there. We should know. We should know. So how can that not be relevant? It's not relevant because that doesn't look good for Democrats. And they just think that they will win the public perception battle. They can shout. They can outshout the Republicans in this uh, propaganda fight. And that's that's what they're we're banking on, which, again, is why I say Republicans, you have the ball. The clock is running down. Take the knee. This is done. It's done. They're going to say Trump is impeached. They're going to try to stain him. He, they have stained him, although not to anybody who. You know, not to anyone who has ever supported Trump or thought about supporting Trump. We all know what a joke this thing is. But they have put this mark on Trump's record forever that he has been impeached. So, OK, they got that. They abused their power. They abused the faith the American people put in them by giving them the power to do this. The Senate wants to give them. what? Why, why show good faith? Oh, because of the greatness of the Senate? This is This is simply absurd. And we also know this is absurd because there was not a single member of the opposing party as Ken, Ken Starr, a man who knows a thing or two about impeachment. Play clip five. To the contrary, for the first time in America's modern history, not a single House member of the president's party supported either of the two articles of impeachment. Not one. Not in committee. Not on the House floor. And that pivotal fact puts in bold relief the Peter Rodino principle, call it the Rodino rule. Impeachment must be bipartisan in nature. Again, sitting as a court, this body should signal to the nation the return to our traditions, bipartisan impeachments. This is 
an entirely partisan process and a partisan impeachment process. There's no Republican who's gone along with this, no Republican who says, yes, you're right. Finally, this is this is too much. Trump has gone too far. And and underneath all of this, there's an assumption, an assumption that I, I think is is pretty offensive, but it's also being made by emotionally unstable libs. So how upset can you really be that there's nothing that Trump could do that would make people turn him? That's just not true. If during that whole Russian collusion fiasco, they had found real proof that the Trump campaign on the direction of the president had tried to engage in a, a program of of you know stealing of emails and, and and at the direction of the president in coordination with the Russians about when to release them. If the initial allegation about that were true and they could prove it, well, yeah, of course. You know, you, you can't have that. You can't have a president working with a foreign power, open, you know, uh, intentionally trying to skew an election. I mean, that's why they use that narrative because it was so. But it was, of course, all a lie. It was all a lie. You notice how the, the storyline there wasn't, well, even if President Trump did that, that's fine. It was, well, he didn't do it. He's innocent. On this, the storyline is even more bizarre in a sense because it's not even the president is, is innocent. It's that there's nothing, there's really no violation. I, I don't, even if John Bolton comes forward, and may, I know that I'm not entirely alone on this, but there are not that many people who agree with me even on the right. Even if John Bolton came forward and said, yeah, he was conditioning the aid on getting investigations of what was going on with Burisma. He's the commander in chief. He's allowed to do that. If you think that's too much bare knuckle politics for you, that's a little bit too. In, and remember, Obama had the IRS investigating political opponents. We're supposed to pretend like that wasn't a big deal. After the Tea Party had completely crushed Democrats in a midterm election, all of a sudden going into the 2012 election, the IRS is using is weaponized against conservative groups, patriot, conservative, America. Well, that's like who they're going after in the IRS. It tells you a lot, doesn't it? Um, but, you know, there was no there's no impeachment move against Obama there. People weren't, oh, you know, Obama needs to be removed from office for this. No, he said there was not a smidgen of corruption. He lied to the American people. He got away with lying all the time. Didn't matter. He was Obama. Oh, Trump lies. And they tell you, Trump lies about his shoe size. You know, Trump lies about who cares. Obama lies about you can keep your plan if you want to keep your plan, your health care plan. Now, that seems to matter to me quite a bit more. I am hoping, friends, that this will end soon. I am hoping that uh, we are not foolish enough to go through what we went through with Kavanaugh. Remember that? Oh, the FBI needs to investigate the allegations of crazy people who are lying. No, I don't think the FBI should have had to investigate the allegations of crazy people who are lying. That was absurd. Oh, we're going to extend this now because John Bolton wants to say something. If John Bolton, if what John Bolton says is true, I don't care. Republicans should still say, nope, no removal. See you later. doesn't matter. There's nothing John Bolton can say at this point that would change anyone's mind who understands the full dynamics of what's really going on here. So who cares? Don't fall into the trap. This is, this is where the left uses the underlying the underlying desire for decency that conservatism fosters. And I know people, oh, Trump, he's so into, yeah, whatever. The reality is that conservatives are much more likely to play by rules that, that hurt their own side than Democrats are. And you can think of countless examples of this. We cannot let that be used as a weapon against us in an election year when the American people should get this, should get the choice. I give you, I mean, I give you my word, you know this. If we have an election and Donald Trump loses... I'm going to say, okay, 
I mean, unless there's something that really happened that's an irregularity, and so unless there really was cheating, which I don't think I don't think they're unlike Democrats. I'm not saying that that's going to happen. They're already saying that's happening. I'll say, okay, Trump lost. You know, perhaps Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or Joe Biden's a president now. We got to deal with this. This is our new reality. I'm not going to cry and say that they stole it and they cheated. And there's a... That's what Democrats do. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The articles of impeachment before you have been passed on a purely partisan basis for the first time in history. In fact, there was bipartisan opposition to the articles of impeachment. They have been trying to impeach the president from the moment of his inauguration for no reason, just because he won. That is why they are impeaching. That's why they have impeached the president. That's why they're trying to remove the president. It's because he won and he was not supposed to. It's because that is the violation. And people are still very upset about it. And they're even more terrified at the, in a sense, the ratification, the consolidation, um, the stamp of approval of the American people, not just of Trump winning the first time, but he's been in office for four years. They've all told us he's, they say he's so dumb, he doesn't know anything, he's going to be a disaster. He's better than Obama and he's better than Bush as president so far. He just is. They can try to tell us otherwise. There was actually uh, some polling that came out, I think it was yesterday, on what do people think of where the economy is now versus where it was before Trump took office. And on every major metric in every area where you can try to measure this, it's better. It's objectively better. It's subjectively better. People understand. They're, you know, they, they know based on the numbers that, th- that things are going really well, but they also feel like things are going better than they were. Look, it's never perfect. There's no such thing as economic security. You know, Producer Mark needs to build a, when he gets the, the house for him and the new missus, he's got to build a little like pool house or something for the Buckster because it's too expensive here in New York City. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I, there's no such thing as economic security, really. But you do the best you can with what you have, and you hope that there's an economy that fosters your talents and makes things easier for you instead of harder for you to succeed. That's where we are. And they want they want the American people, they want the will of the American people to be thwarted to use a process. Once I mean, we've already had a special counsel. When you really think about this, it's just so absurd. And they've been punishing us by putting us through this this worthless spectacle of Schiff and Nadler and Pelosi just lying to our faces all the time. Oh, they're so sad. That's why they're giving out pens when they're signing the article of impeachment. Oh, it's so grave and they don't want to do it. Lying to us like we're all a bunch of idiots. We all know what they're doing. We all understand what this process has been about from the beginning. And it's also just boring now. It's just gotten to the point where I don't want to hear any more of their same arguments over and over again. We've all been through this enough. The country should have other things to focus on. There are other more worthwhile areas of our attention. Pretty much anything is more worthwhile of our attention. This is the seventh day of the Senate trial. It should be the last day of the Senate trial. They should vote. They should be done. That's it. Anything else, and the Buckster is going to be very upset. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. My friends, let's do a quick review, shall we? Why did the president win? Why did he beat Hillary Clinton in 2016? There are a lot of reasons. We could put forward uh, some reasons as being more compelling than others. 
Hillary's inability to find Wisconsin on a map, for example, might have been part of the problem. Uh, there are tons of things that you could point to. But one that was a consistent, a consistent theme, and I remember this because I was for the 2015-2016 election cycle, a political analyst at CNN, a conservative political analyst. Uh, they always would call me that, by the way, conservative commentator. And then they'd bring on political analyst, so-and-so, you know, conservative political commentator Buck Sexton. You could just hear the audience booing, boo, conservative, boo, Republican. And they'd bring on, oh, yes, let's hear from uh, Maria Cardona or, or Van Jones or Anna Navarro, allegedly a Republican, by the way. All she does is trash Republicans, but she's allegedly a Republican. That's of, of the dishonest people in media, of the people that I, I really... I feel both sort of sorry for them and I find it humorous and also disgusting. All at the same time are those who fall into the Jennifer Rubin, Anna Navarro, Tom Nichols, who unfollowed me on Twitter. Oh, so sad. Oh, so sad. I was I was always I was always very fair and good to Tom back in the day when he wanted to have adult conversations, but he's lost his mind. And so now he doesn't follow me on Twitter anymore. It brings it brings a tear to my eye. Uh, if anything, I'm I'm too polite. I'm too gallant for this industry. Uh, but sometimes you got to call it out where it is. Uh, Max Boot, another loon on the right, but all he does is say what the left wants him to. Doesn't understand or doesn't care that he's being used as a prop against his former ideological allies. And I guess these people never really cared about these policy matters, never cared about these public debates uh, even if they devoted decades of their lives to it, their their professional lives, even if they were giving speeches and writing books about how conservatism is the way, this is the way, as they say on The Mandalorian. Great show. Highly recommend. Baby Yoda worth the price of admission right then and there. Uh, but then you have the, the reality of what CNN has become. People ask, how could you ever have worked there? And I tell them, well, it's because it... It has always been liberal, but it used to be liberal, and we're going to bring on Republicans, and we got to treat the Republican with some basic decorum and respect. We've, we've got to be willing to show the Republican that you know we're, we're not just going to ambush them on air, and that wasn't always true, and there was always—but, you know, I, I used to do Brooke Baldwin's show, and she was fair to me, at least when I was talking about terrorism stuff— uh, you know, I did other people's shows and they were reasonable. But, you know, Don Lemon's show was always just a, a mess. Don Lemon's show was always where the, the, the CNN got to really be CNN. They, they dropped the, the facade of, oh, yeah, we're journalists. And they thought they made this calculation that they could show Trump rallies, that they would show the American people who Donald Trump was and that it would hurt Trump. And they were always really mocking him. They're like, aha, look at Trump. Look at how dumb this is. Look at all these people that are so foolish. They think Trump can win the presidency. And it was too late, you know, when Zucker and company finally figured out that, oh, no, people like a politician who speaks like a normal person. People like someone who embraces the fact that he's imperfect but wants to represent the will of a forgotten constituency of American voters, particularly white working class voters in this country. I mean, pe people like that. CNN didn't figure that out. And there was also always this elitist contempt, but it's an unearned elitism, not just at CNN, at MSNBC too. I mean, Joe Scarborough, 
Joe Scarborough passes judgment all the time on people who are far more intelligent, courageous, ethical, and worthwhile than he is. That that's really part of that that's his shtick. He's like the 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 mean dumb guy in high school who's always wearing the you know the varsity letterman jacket or whatever. Who's like, yeah, I mean that guy. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Like Valedictorian, who's gonna go ROTC because you're just so cool. That's Joe Scarborough. I mean, this is who these are people that their their shtick is appealing to insecure elitists because one of the one of the one of the factors, one of the realities of the Trump era is you got a guy who calls out journalists, calls out a lot of people, and says, Why why exactly are you so spectacular? Why should you be able to look down your nose at other people? Why should you be able to put others who have made different choices, who have perhaps, you know, either, you know, whether we're talking about women who have focused on building families and staying home and taking care of families. Oh, you know, the elitists on the coast look down on that. Oh, it's like a it's like a form of servitude to be a mom who takes care of kids. Oh, it's ridiculous. And people who don't go to fancy or any four year college and and instead uh, sign up voluntarily for the military because they want to serve their country. People who learn to be skilled welders or electricians or plumbers or carpenters or, you know, to make the stuff that we need to make our lives safe and better and easier. You know, there are people that go on TV. They're effectively glorified actors. They don't know anything. They have no particular skills. They look down on all those people. And they think that those people also aren't as good as illegal aliens those people are, are idiots because they don't understand that there are 37 genders now. Those people, you know, need, need to learn a whole lot from the HuffPost, Vox.com, New York Times, left-wing pseudo-intelligentsia. That, that was a, a big underlying theme of the entire Trump campaign and continues throughout the Trump presidency. Well, we have now one of the most, if you're trying to distill that smugness, that unearned arrogance, which is a, a key characteristic of the modern liberal, an unearned arrogance. And I really see this too. And it even comes up among the people that I know in media. You know, conservatives tend to be, not all of them, some are, I'm the greatest, I do the greatest show, and I'm, you know, that's fine, that's their own thing. But generally speaking, conservatives are more willing to say, look, you know, there's stuff I still have to learn, there's there's a humility. You know, liberals are, oh, I'm a genius. Oh, they, I've never seen so many people in my life. You go, you, oh, you turn on TV and all these liberals pose as the true intellectual. And then they say stupid things. You know, they all think Lawrence Tribe is some kind of, brilliant legal mind and then you see what this guy tweets out you go this guy's in harvard law school this guy's an idiot doesn't know doesn't understand things that just a person who thinks things through and has not polluted his mind with the greatness of my every thought i mean arrogance can actually be a hindrance to good decision making libs guess what it's true you can be trapped in your own pomposity Wait, it's a, it's a danger on the right and on the left. But there is no class of people in this country with a great, I, I say this, okay, other than actors, but actors have to usually be pretty good at acting, although some of them are. There is no class of people in this country with a greater degree of unearned arrogance and contempt for normal Americans than your standard lib TV news anchor. 
They're famous, they're highly paid, and they're good at basically nothing. It's amazing. It's a great gig if you can get it, but usually the gig is a combination of being really lucky and sucking up to the right people. That's how most of the people that you see on TV that get these jobs get them. Speaking of which, we have the distillation of the contempt that the lib TV news anchors and their analysts feel for the American people in this unforgettable, and I really hope I mean that word uh, very literally, unforgettable. Do not forget this. Here is how a multimillionaire TV news anchor at CNN and his guests talk about Trump voters. Would you please play, Producer Mark? He also knows deep in his heart that Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane <laughs> next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. And so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience. Uh, you know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump um, that, that wants to think that, that, that Donald Trump's the smarter one in there. Oh, y'all, y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. <laughs> You, you elite us with your geography and your maps and your spelling, even though my your math and even, your reading. Yeah, you're reading, you know, your geography, knowing other countries, sipping your latte. All those lines on the map. <laughs> Only them elite us know where Ukraine is. Sorry, I apologize. But by, but by the way, Ukraine. Oh my God! But, but you know what? But, but it was Rick's fault. I blame Rick. Oh but, you know, but, but in all honesty, but all, you know what Rick. NPR should do? Why not? Sorry, hold on. You, wait, wait. Can yeah, I tell give you me what, a second. You, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry. That was good. Sorry, Rick. You, that you, was a good one. I needed that. Yeah, that was a good one. Hilarious. I I just wonder. I mean, they they say this. And and I would I would want to know what would what would the reaction have been if on Fox News, for example, which I think does have some very earnest journalists who try to try to present the facts as best they can. I'm not saying that no one's perfect at it, but I think they make a good faith effort. I think there are people that try there. And then there's a whole lot of opinion that is to the right. No question. Right. It's a it's a conservative leaning network. I don't live in a fantasy world. Of course it is. CNN, though, doesn't say it's a liberal-leading network. CNN thinks it's objective. Right? It's a joke. It's, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. Uh, but can you imagine for a second if Fox News had had a couple of its... And by the way, that, that one guy, um, Rick Wilson's one of, the, one of the guys who just... All you have to do is go and see the things that he said. I mean, I mean I, I'm still amazed at the fact that he goes on TV, given what he said about... Uh, and Coulter on Twitter publicly once, which I cannot, I could not even begin to repeat on air. It was absolutely disgusting and, and heinous. And you know, Anne is amazing, and I think Anne's one of the one of the best contemporary polemicists alive. Um, not, I make no make uh, no secret of that. And uh, you know, Rick Wilson, I, he's never been a problem to me. I've met him a few times. I don't have anything personally against him. I just think that his shtick is is kind of disgusting. And sometimes it is quite clearly disgusting. But, you know, he's there and this is his thing. He's a Republican that just he just dances to the tune. The libs play for him all the time. That's right. You know, come on, Rick Wilson, go in the corner, dance, bear, dance. Do what we tell you, Rick Wilson. And they do it. And he does it. Right. This has become the way I guess that he puts you know food on the table. It's how he gets the paycheck, whatever. And the other the other individual is a New York Times writer. And I, I just have to say, could you imagine if Fox News had one of its main anchors, 
right? This isn't some little like, late night weekend show or something. I mean, this is one of its main anchors. Uh, have on two guests and laughing hysterically while they're essentially saying that, you know, the, the base of the opposing party, the, that that Barack Obama's base uh, can't read, doesn't have maps, can't spell, you know, and and, uh, you know, drinks lattes, you know, whatever, whatever the stuff, all the stuff that they were saying, just flip it. There would be outrage for oh my outrage from the media, you know, especially if they if these con- if conservative commentators in this sense. If they focused in, I mean, he 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 went after, you know, what was it? Ru- essentially, what what they're making fun of here, we all know this, are rural, uh, you know, rural senior citizen Trump voters who are white. That's what that's what they're making fun of. Could you imagine if there was a similar moment where they went after some of the more favorable demographics for the Democratic Party? And made fun of a lack of maps and reading and literature. Could you imagine the outrage that you would see? Oh, my. It would be, you know, we would be told that the country was being pulled apart at the seams. There would probably be riots, actually. I mean, there would be real problems if that ever happened. And you know what's amazing here? CNN thinks that they're the victims. I see this. One of the uh, the fellow, Mr. Ali, who is not Rick, you know, the other one than Rick Wilson, uh, he, he's saying, oh, you know, my family's worried about my safety and everything now. And, and look, and no no person, there's never an excuse for threatening anybody because of what they say on TV. And if you do that, you're a moron. I don't care what your politics are or what party you're in or anything else. If you do that, you're a bad person. OK, so let's just establish that. Uh, but this is this is just the way CNN really this is who that this is who CNN is. This is what that network's all about. And this is what and, and the reason that, I, you know, I, I want to bring it up is that. They haven't learned anything. It hasn't changed. Nothing is different from 2016 for them. They don't. They don't feel any sense of morale. Maybe we were wrong to trash Trump so much because he's actually been a pretty good president. You know, maybe we could try to come up with better ideas to the American people instead of just saying a bunch of you know toothless hillbilly racists are the reason that Donald Trump won the election. They still live. You know, they always say that we live. The conservatives live in a bubble. No, libs live in a bubble. Uh, they don't understand that there are a whole lot of people, millions and millions and millions of them who vote for Donald Trump, who just think that it's a guy who is going to do good things for the country and doesn't look, even though he's a billionaire and, you know, he's married to supermodels and all this stuff, you know, he, he doesn't look on people who make a living, do the right thing, treat their families well, try to support their try to support their wife and children or, you know, their husband and children, whichever way, um, doesn't look down on them with contempt. Uh, on 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 white working class voters in particular doesn't look at them with contempt and the Democratic Party really does have a contempt for that demographic you know move aside you're a problem you're not educated enough you're sophist- you're not sophisticated enough you don't drink enough lattes with almond milk or actually hazelnut milk which I, I mean I'm a latte drinker so there's that I actually make a pretty mean latte CNN shows you who they are they've learned nothing just remember this, the New York Times, the Washington Post, all these other major news outlets, they, they all view the same way. They all view their fellow Americans with, with contempt. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't view uh, the Democrat constituency the same, I, I, the same way that the Democrats view the Republican constituency in that I don't, I don't hate them at all. I don't, I don't have hatred for them. I think they're wrong. I think they're misguided. I think that there are a lot of things that History shows us that they don't yet understand or are unwilling to unwilling to take into account with their analysis. But I, I still do hope. And that's why when I hear from Democrats who listen to this show, it makes me happy. I want more Democrats to listen to this show because I do think that there are people who 
the more they think about their beliefs and the more they think about being Democrats uh, and what that really means and get an and get an unbiased or I shouldn't say unbiased, pardon me, get an unfiltered sense of it from somebody that opposes that ideology who understands what he's talking about, the more likely it is we can bring people over to our side and our way of thinking, which I do think is better for the country. But CNN folks, when people show you who they are, listen to them. Let them tell you. CNN showed you what it's all about. Don't forget it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Basically what they said is Hunter Biden got a job. His dad was vice president. If, if that's a crime, I mean, shouldn't half of your children be in prison? My, my children are 9 and 11, and I'm sorry that you want to throw a 9-year-old in prison. But at this point, my, my, my third grader plays basketball and softball at her school. So so stop playing the nasty. No, no, stop playing the na- nasty Washington game. I'm sorry, that's not nasty Washington game. Sam. Attacking a 9-year-old? Get him. Get him, Ted. Don't don't let don't let up on Brian Karam of CNN. Oh, that's right, and uh, Playboy. Uh, go get him, Ted. Absolutely. Oh, aren't your kids? You know, Hunter Biden got. Look at these look at these psycho libs. They're defending the Hunter Biden arrangement. Oh, doesn't everybody? No, not everybody's kids get fifty thousand dollars a month because daddy or mommy is a politician to sit on a board they have no business on, while daddy or mommy are supposed to be investigating that company. No, not not everybody gets that. That's not a normal thing, but this is this is what they have to do. Libs for their positions to, for to hold the positions they do in this whole Hunter Biden thing, they have to pretend to be complete idiots. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The typical board member of these Fortune 100 companies, we know they're titans of their industry, they're highly qualified, and as such, they're well compensated. Even so, Hunter Biden was paid significantly more. This is how well he was compensated. So Hunter Biden is paid over $83,000 a month. While the average American family of four during that time each year made less than $54,000. And that's according to U.S. Census Bureau during that time. And this is what's been reported about his work on the board. The Washington Post said, quote, what specific duties Hunter Biden carried out for Burisma are not fully known, end quote. The New Yorker reported, quote, once or twice a year, he attended Burisma board meetings and energy forums that took place in Europe, end quote. When speaking with ABC News about his qualifications to be on Burisma's board, Hunter Biden didn't point to any of the usual qualifications of a board member. Hunter Biden had no experience in natural gas, no experience in the energy sector, no experience with Ukrainian regulatory affairs. As far as we know, he doesn't speak Ukrainian. Pretty sure he doesn't. Pretty sure Hunter Biden doesn't speak any Ukrainian. Uh, notice how there's still a defensiveness. That was Pam Bondi talking about how this whole Hunter Biden on the board of Burisma is, is completely absurd. And, and liberals just pretend like it's not. The libs act like there's nothing to see here. There's everything to see here. This is now the standard. Remember, they also have spent 
so much time, and, and you know, this is important context for this, raising uh, how there, and this is a real thing, how there are diplomats who buy food at Trump Hotel, a place where I've hung out a lot, where they have fantastic hanging bacon strips, where they take a little flame gun out, or I guess a flamethrower. I don't know what, a little, whatever you'd call it. It looks like a, it's a little fiery thing that comes out of a can. And a blowtorch. There we go. <laughs> a flame thingy. Uh, so, yeah, they take a, a blowtorch and they, they do the bacon strips. Very much worth it if you ever go down there. That's the, that's the best. The, the food, other than that, I'm going to tell you, is pretty mediocre. But the, the, the bacon's excellent. Um, I actually saw a recipe last night that uses interwoven strips of crispy bacon instead of a bun. Bam. Hashtag paleo. Hashtag gluten-free. Uh, but there were all these stories. The Washington Post would run them. Other places would run them about how there were diplomats who were buying cheeseburgers at Trump Hotel or whatever and having a beer, having a glass of wine, and how that's a violation of the Emoluments Clause because by spending money – and these are real stories. By spending money – the Washington Post ran this – at Trump Hotel, they were perhaps currying favor with the president – and you'd say to yourself, hold on a second, they spent a few hundred thousand dollars from 20 different countries on product at a commercial enterprise that has food costs, that has labor costs, and they think that they're going to sway Trump on foreign policy or something with this? This would, this would be like someone saying, hey, uh, I, I'm really worried that someone walked up to the president, gave him five bucks, and was like, I need, I need you to you know, stop backing Ukraine against Russia, you know, but they gave him five bucks. So I think he's probably going to I think he's probably going to come over to my side of this thing. I mean, it's 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 again, it's preposterous. They keep making all these preposterous arguments and then they expect us to take them seriously when they make a new preposterous argument. No, I I'd, I'd rather not have that approach. I'd rather not accept that. Um, I, I refuse, in fact, to to accept it. But uh, the, the Hunter Biden thing is not going away anytime soon because it also is an issue of corruption. Corruption, the Democrats pretend they give all these speeches, all this, oh my gosh, all these speeches about how, how sad they are about money and politics and, and how unfair it is that there's all these special interests. And then their kids all just get complete, you know, Democrat politicians' kids get the complete white glove treatment from the media in with whatever things that they do. I mean, the fact that I'm supposed to listen to Hillary, uh, no, sorry, not Hillary, hello! The fact that I'm supposed to listen to Chelsea Clinton, Chelsea Clinton's never had a real job. She's never had a real job. Never showed up to a job where she could realistically be fired for underperformance or not showing up because of who mommy and daddy is. Now, I'm not lying. If, if you know, if, if my mommy and daddy were so rich and powerful that I could just like move from one place to another, can't get fired, get paid a lot of money, uh, you know, NBC paid Chelsea Clinton for, I think it was 20 minutes of actual on-air work. And she was horrible at it, by the way, as somebody who's also in the business. I think they paid her almost $700,000. Yeah, know, that's good. that's good work if you 20 minutes of work on-air. That's good work if you can get it. You know, and, and NBC News, they really, they're really watching every penny over there, huh? Now, again, that's not illegal. It's gross, though. And I don't have to listen. I don't have to accept the narrative being pushed by... The rest of the liberal media that, oh, now because she's a Clinton, this is somebody who I should have to listen to. Right. We can push back against these. No, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's gross. It's gross. I don't like nepotism. 
Not going to lie. That could be a problem for me down the line with some other things going on in the Republican Party, as we know. But I do not like nepotism. I do not approve of it. I do not defend it. It is not something that... And, you know, our side, people like it sometimes when it's on our side. And no, no, no. If we're going to talk principles, we got to keep those principles clear. Got to keep them consistent. Um, I, I, I'll leave that one for now. Um, then we just get to, does Maisie Hirono really know anything? That's a, that's a fair question to ask, I think. I've, I've told you before, and I don't, I, don't, I don't say it out of, I'm not trying to be mean. Um, but does Maisie Hirono know anything because when she talks on television i find myself asking a question how is this person a united states senator and I, I really i just and not that i think the other senators are so impressive you know i think schumer is calculating and cunning i think same could be said of pelosi but you know none of them are great intellectuals and certainly none of them have any moral fiber or character worth talking about but the people of hawaii I just, I mean, Hawaii is such a beautiful place. The people of Hawaii, what is it that makes them think, yeah, I want this person to represent my state? Would you play clip 16, please, Producer Mark? They're making the argument, basically, especially Dershowitz, that uh, an abuse of power is not an impeachable offense. Uh, I don't know of any other real constitutional scholar who agrees with Dershowitz, but that kind of argument says that uh, you think that this president truly can do anything he wants under Article 2 of the Constitution, which is the president's position, and these kinds of arguments enable him to hold to that position. It's really what I call the he did it, so what defense. And that's what the, the Republican may ultimately hang their hats on, even if they're here, they hear from Bolton, which is pretty damning testimony that gives a lie to all the things that the president has been saying and pushing on what I call big CYA arguments about uh, his explanation for the whole, then uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, they're going to be left with, yeah, he did it, so what? I don't think the country is going to buy that. What the heck was that? Anybody know? What what was that all about? Huh? The president says he can do anything? The president's defense is very specific on things he did or did not do. The president's defense is not he can do anything. And I just, who, who knows more about constitutional law, Alan Dershowitz or Maisie Hirono? I think we could all make a pretty good determination of that one. <sighs> it's amazing. Um, by the way... Joe Biden, uh, this is, I know I'm not going to get too much more into the Hunter Biden thing. I got other things I want to talk to you about uh, as well today. But uh, Joe Biden kind of let everyone know exactly what's going on here when he says that, you know, the press, the press corps, they, the press has got my back in this whole process. We know they do, Joe. We're not surprised to hear that because one would think that Hunter Biden, who I, I think it was the Waldorf in New York, by the way, I'd said the Waldorf in Beverly Hills, but it's the Waldorf in New York, you know, very fancy places. Uh, he's driving around in a Porsche and initially was saying that he did, wasn't going to pay paternity, um, you know, pay because he had a child with a stripper and exotic dancer, perhaps, if you prefer that nomenclature. You know, that you would think that this would be kind of a bigger deal because we have not just the, the wayward son of Joe Biden here, who is at the center of this now conspiracy, this this whole issue of whether or not the president should be impeached, removed from office. Uh Hunter Biden's judgment would seem to matter a whole lot. You know, Hunter Biden is not a, is not a smooth operator. He's not a guy that you can count on to make the right decision. That's putting it mildly. 
but the press is not interested at all. I mean, they're they're not interested in really tracking down what did or did not happen in Ukraine. They don't want to run stories on the corruption that seemed to be happening, not just at Burisma, but more generally in the in the uh, energy sector in Ukraine. Here's what uh, here's what Joe Biden says though about his, his buddies in the press who have got his back. Play twenty. Presidents can't hold grudges. These guys are attacking me and my family. I get it. And the press corps with me, they're all good people. Follow me. They keep asking me, you know, they just brought up your son, Hunter, and they're doing this and that and the other thing. Well, guess what? I don't hold grudges because presidents can't hold grudges. Presidents have to be fighters, but they also have to be healers. Yeah, that's what the Democrats want to do. They want to heal the country. They want to heal the country by undoing the 2016 vote before we can have another vote to ratify that those of us who voted for Trump in 2016 feel even better about it now than we ever have. That's certainly the case with me. With each passing year, it's been it's been an even better investment decision to vote for Donald Trump. With each passing year, and I don't mean investment financial, that's true too. I just mean you're even more certain of that decision with each passing year. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Do you have a celebrity crush? Yes, Prince. The Rock, come on. Just look at that man. He's eye candy. I'm a happily married man. Um, I think my wife's a star, and I've got a big crush on her. Do you have a celebrity crush? Um... Not for the New York Times to know about. Uh, my favorite actor and actress, uh, Lorna Dern and William Macy, who starred in a movie that I produced. Alicia Keys is a fantastic artist and a really good person. Crushing on you, Evelyn. The Rock. He's eye candy. Look at those peck muscles. Look at that gluteus maximus. Chiseled with hours of sweaty work in the gym. Elizabeth Warren wishes she had been right there on the treadmill going at least 2.2 miles an hour while The Rock was doing his thing. Ooh. <laughs> I gotta tell you, that was like, that was a, a real moment when the New York Times asks all these different um all these different Democrat contenders, who their celebrity crush is. I, I, first of all, I like that Bloomberg's like, Laura Dern, she's great. You know, you know, I think she does a great job. Like, who is, he, is that the actress from Jurassic Park? Is that Laura Dern? Or I think he said Lorna Dern. Is that the same person? I don't even know who he's talking about. Anyway, Bloomberg answers it that way. High five to Mayor Pete and to Andrew Yang for being like, no. No, sorry, not doing this. I like, you know, Yang says it's his wife. That's cute. And I think that's the you know a good answer under the circumstances. Mayor Pete, you give a good answer. I say it's a good answer. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to play this game either. Um, who was the who was the first one who who's it who said Prince? Who, Producer Mark, who was that? That was Amy Klobuchar. Oh, that's why I couldn't tell from that. Prince. You don't really have a Klobuchar impression. Yeah, no, I don't have a Klobuchar impression. That's true. I got to work when on it. When I heard the Warren part, I was like, that that's what I'm going to hear later in Buck's voice. Oh, I yeah, I just for knew sure. it was coming, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Rock. Have you ever you ever seen the way that he just deadlifts like 5,000 pounds? It gives a lady gives a lady the vapors. Oh, good heavens. So, I need you to stop this so now. So much man meat in one oh, place. Oh, my gosh. 
I was gonna ask a question, but I don't. I don't think I can go go on from yeah, there. I, just I was gonna say you. Bernie wasn't yeah. in that video. What's his celebrity crush? Oh my gosh, that's a good one. Um, I gotta think. Who would be? Who would be the Bernie Sanders crush? Perhaps the early Soviet slash communist Rosa Luxemburg. I don't know. We'd have to think. Could that be it? Maybe the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, she's beautiful. Yeah, that that's, that sounds like. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's she's incredible. I mean, I'm I'm a I like uh, what's her name? The, I don't know her name. actual name now. I just trying to think of an old lady communist, and Rosa Luxemburg was the first one who came. To, I think she's technically. I just more think socialist. any old lady would work in this situation. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know who I don't know who Bernie Sanders would go for. I would be curious to see who he comes up with though. Um, and for those who are wondering. Uh, a liber- Rosa Luxemburg was a libertarian Marxist from 1871 to 1919. Uh, she's a socialist. Yeah, there you go. So that was the only socialist I could think of from back in the day who's a lady off the top of my head. Not a lot of really famous female socialists. So that's all I had on that one. Yeah, I feel like uh, females weren't in power when socialism was a big thing. That's probably true. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even have the vote in this country, really, so well, at least when socialism was getting started. So anyway, um, celebrity crushes. Uh, let's see what we have here. Um, celebrity crushes. I think the best one was clearly The Rock. Um, Lorna Dern. I mean, the, the best in terms of, like, what was the most amusing for us here in the studio. Uh, yeah. Uh, I got to tell you, I think The Rock did a... Uh, the Rock probably should reach out. He's occasionally active on Twitter and has something to say to uh, has something to say to those who reach out to him. Uh, people always talk about The Rock maybe running for president. If you remember, that was a thing that came up for a while. I think I'd vote for him. I don't I, know. He's, what he's a very are, charismatic yeah. fellow. He's a very. I'm thinking right now about all that. You know, I could talk about how Elizabeth Warren finds him so charismatic too, but I, I think Please I, don't. I, I, I'll, I'll avoid that. Once you that. said man me. Oh, the other, the, other one that I, the other one that I had was, was Alicia Keys from uh, Tom Steyer. Yeah. I just thought that's a- Random. Like, like I mean, fine. Like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with talented. Alicia Keys. There's nothing wrong with Alicia Keys, yeah, but it's just like Tom Steyer goes with Alicia Keys? I don't yeah. know. Doesn't fit. I, yeah, I just, that, he's, such a, he's such a nerd, that guy. And it turns out, you know, you look more into his past financially, and like he founded a bank that's been really rough on low-income people. And I, I think that his whole climate change thing is—he's a billionaire who's trying to trying to pay off, the, you know, the sins of the past of how he became a billionaire. He's a very guilty conscience billionaire for whatever reason. Um, but now I have to ask producer Mark: Does Mrs. Mark allow you to answer the question who the celebrity crushes? Oh, it's my wife, obviously. Good Mrs. Man. Producer Mark. That is the only correct. Mm-hmm. Was there one before? She was Mrs. Producer Mark. Uh, I always, for some reason, said Mila Kunis. Okay. Yeah. Respectable. Yeah. Who's mine? Or Jessica Biel. We all already know that. Correct. Correct. Even though there was that whole anti-vax thing that came up for a while <laughs> there. Hey, hey. I, I didn't see you know, it. Hey, but, uh, nobody, hey, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. She, Jessica called me. Oh, no. Her and Justin She Timberlake is uh, still very together. married. Yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, no. He's super rich and famous. Whatever. Yeah. And a, I a run super the, rich, famous, attractive. Yeah, yeah I know. I run that, the Freedom yeah. Hut, though. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's continued investigation about just what happened and what went wrong that led to the tragedy over the weekend of that helicopter uh, going down and killing nine people, Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, <clears throat> uh, another a husband, wife, and daughter, I think. I mean, it was, it, the whole thing is just... 
is, is absolutely horrific. And I didn't want to, on the, on the first day we talked about it, I didn't want to get into this, although it did happen right away. Uh, there is the media reaction to this, and there were some very, well, let's just say noteworthy for now, media reactions to, to what happened. First of all, that, that TMZ, which is a gossip site, a celebrity gossip site, uh, broke the news before Bryant's family or other families were able to be notified is that raises some very uh, very clear questions about you know journalistic ethics. You know, does anyone really think that it's right for someone to find out that their their father, their brother, their mother, their sister, um, husband, wife, etc., uh, died suddenly by seeing it on Twitter? That's a part of this discussion that I didn't get into quite yet. And then there's also how do journalists respond when something like this happens? How do people who claim that their their job, their life's work, uh, their profession, what gets them up every day, is about bringing information to people? How do they react when this kind of a tragedy occurs? Well, we have one ins- one instance that uh, certainly has gotten a lot of attention: a Washington Post reporter, right after. Uh, Kobe Bryant, right after the news broke that Kobe Bryant died, she shared the following tweet. Kobe Bryant's disturbing rape case, the DNA evidence, the accuser story, and the half confession. It was a piece from the Daily Beast. Um, and she shared it right as this man was, I mean, they have they had quite literally not retrieved the bodies yet. And given the reality here of what occurred, uh, they believe the helicopter was going, I I heard today, up to 180 miles an hour, and it collided into the side of a mountain. Um, There were much more pressing, much more important things for people to be considering at that moment of extreme grief than sharing an old story about Kobe Bryant uh, that was clearly going to set off a lot of people under the circumstances. Now, I'm not saying that you can ever, you, you should wipe a figure's uh, background clean just because they die. That's not, that's not the standard that we're trying to set up here. Um, but it is, I think, understandable for people to want to have some space for grieving when, you, when a figure like this who did a lot of good for a lot of people and inspired a lot of people. And that was why I wanted to focus on that in the first day. And I will say there's a video that's going around right now of a of a reporter, of a sports reporter, a female journal, a sports journalist, about the one time she met Kobe Bryant. I have to tell you, usually when people have the after a, a death of a figure like this, I mean, I remember after Andrew Breitbart very suddenly passed away, I was on TV and I was asked, you know, do you have, you know, everyone's going around the table. I was with a bunch of people. This is back in the real news days. And they were all telling stories about their experiences with Andrew Breitbart. And I had never met Andrew Breitbart. So I just said, I wish, you know, I, I thoughts and prayers for his family. I mean, I, but I don't have a story to share. And I think that, that sometimes people get dragged into or they feel a pressure to tell some kind of a personal anecdote about a person like this, a public figure like this, just because everyone is doing it. Uh, this woman told the story about the one time she met Kobe Bryant, and it's really touching. Actually, it was it was incredibly earnest and well done, and and worth hearing about how he was a girl dad. That's how Kobe Bryant described himself because he was so proud of being a dad of I think three girls, and wished that he could have five more. And you know, it was just a, it's a really inspiring message, and it's something that that I think if you get the chance on we we don't have it here on the show today, but if you get the chance, it's worth it's worth hearing. 
Um, to rush out there when someone has when there's been a tragedy like this, and to share a news story that first of all it was never I mean, it was never adjudicated in criminal court. Um, we do believe still somewhat in the presumption of innocence, so certainly as a legal matter, but also as it affects people's public reputations. I think that that has to be taken into account. Um, Felicia Sonmez was in a whole lot of hot water after after tweeting that because of the outrage on the Internet. Here's what she responded to. Here's how she responded 39 minutes after sharing this. So so Kobe Bryant and his daughter die. Seven other people dead. Fiery wreckage of a helicopter crash. People are just processing this. And she says, oh, yeah, I remember that story about Kobe Bryant being a rapist. That's that's effectively what this Washington Post reporter decided to do. And then when she got the backlash, which I think anybody would expect would happen, she wrote, well, that was eye opening to the 10,000 people literally who have commented and emailed me with abuse and death threats. Please take a moment and read the story, which was written three plus years ago and not by me. Any public figure is worth remembering in their totality. Yeah, it was a three a three plus year old story. So the first she Kobe Bryant dies. The first thing this Washington Post reporter does is find the most uh, the most you know damning the worst moment effectively of Kobe Bryant's public life and and share that. And it, it just felt like this is uh, an incredibly poor judgment from from this reporter. She continued, even if that public figure is beloved, and uh, that's totally unsettling. Uh, the, fo- the folks are responding with rage and threats toward me, someone who didn't even write the piece but found it well reported, speaks volumes about the pressure people come under to stay silent in these cases. Well, the rape allegation was not the news story the day that he died with his daughter in a, in a helicopter crash. Right? The rape allegation had been the story over, I think, over 15, over 15 years ago. Um, and it did seem to many people, understandably, that that Felicia Sonmez of The Washington Post was unwilling to extend even a little bit of just considered a little a little bit of, of good faith leeway to Kobe Bryant, family members, fans, friends to grieve a bit before we have to go into the, you know, we can have this referendum or we have, not referendum, have this referencing back to Kobe Bryant's life and. You know the ups, the ups and downs, and all the things that people can and, and will discuss about about a public figure like this. Yeah, I think it's interesting that the Washington Post suspended her because of this. They suspended her, but I don't think the Washington Post suspended her because that they would extend this uh, sense of basic decency from reporters in the immediate aftermath. I mean, I'm just going to say it. I think that if a Republican of any uh, anyone who's associated with the with the right and Republicanism died in a in a plane crash, helicopter crash, car crash, you name it, that a Washington Post reporter would be able to say, well, look at how this person was really, you know, supporting white nationalists with this legislation. Or, you know, right away, just just bash the person. Kobe Bryant, international superstar, beloved by, you know, hundreds of millions of people really around the world. Um, there's a special protection that was that has afforded his legacy by the Washington Post. And also, I think, a response to market forces here where people look at the Post and they say, really, these are the kind of people that you employ? You employ people who are willing to trash a man as his body and his daughter's body have not even been retrieved from the crash site? 
Um, and, you know, that's and then you also get into when is a, a public figure, uh, how, how does a public figure receive any any grace or forgiveness after they pass away for incidents where there is still a dispute as to what happened like this? You know, I, I you know, the circumstances of this, I, I don't remember all and I, I could go back and read it. I haven't yet all of the details of the case, but I do remember it when it first happened. And, you know, the, the circumstances of it were certainly in dispute. Uh, Kobe Bryant never never admitted to knowingly uh, sexually assaulting someone and this this young woman at the this employee of a now he was a married man at the time. I mean, there's this whole other component of why was he having sex? even if it was consensual sex with a 19-year-old girl when he's got a wife and several children at home. That's another part of the story. Um, but, you know, this is this is where we have to, as a society, start to understand what the boundaries are, what the acceptable, you know, where does discourse go about a public figure like this after he is gone? It could be a he or a she, depending on the circumstances, but this is obviously Kobe Bryant's life we're discussing. And do we... You know, what happens is, does this person always live with the asterisk of what is just effectively an accusation? It's one thing, I mean, if it's proven in court, I mean, Mike Tyson, for example, another sports hero who has a uh, who has a rape conviction, not just a rape allegation, rape conviction on his record. He's gone around and, and tried to make public amends for this. And what he, he says he served his debt to society. He's tried to make public amends. He's tried to be a better person, a better father. You know, is that uh, what what becomes, you know, when the day, you know, I hope Mike Tyson has a you know rest of long, uh, long and happy life and, and all that. But the day that Mike Tyson passes is the first thing is the first thing that reporters uh, are going to say. Uh, this guy was was a rape, was somebody who was credibly accused of and prosecuted for and convicted for rape. How do we view public figures in their totality after the fact? It's a complicated question. I, I don't have an answer for you today on this. I just know that this one Washington Post reporter found out that, if nothing else, give the family 24, 48 hours to grieve before you say, oh, yeah, this guy was accused of rape. I, that seems to me to be a, a basic decency. Not that, not that it's silence forever and we can't have the discussion, but how about just how about a little bit of space for the family and space for friends and, and other people who... Um, who come along. And I just say that it, just you wait and see. The Washington Post would not extend it. I mean, this is a, a protection for Kobe Bryant, for people that are in good standing with not just it's not even a left wing thing. It's just in good standing with the general culture. I mean, Kobe Bryant is a cultural icon, not just a sports icon. Uh, some Republican, though, meets an end and associated with Trump, you know, at some point in the future, you know, someone who's in the Trump orbit or just a Republican it doesn't even matter if it's in the Trump orbit. No, no. Whatever the worst thing is they can say about him, you'll see Washington Post reporters saying it right away. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You are a self-proclaimed socialist. Democratic. Put in there, please. Thank you. Your agenda has promised free health care for everybody, free college tuition, and to pay off people's college loans. The price tag for that is estimated to be $60 trillion over 10 years, correct? Well, look, we have political opponents you don't know, come up. You don't know how much your plan costs? You don't know. Nobody knows. This is impossible. You're going to gonna propose a plan to the American people, and you're not going to tell them how much it costs? Of course I will. You know exactly what health care costs will be. One minute in the next. I don't know what the costs are. Who knows the costs? It's going to be really expensive, but it's going to be great. 
uh, a few things here about Bernie Sanders. One is that we we have to take very seriously that Bernie Sanders can, in fact, become the Democrat nominee for president. I, I think that we're getting really close to that. Look, he was second place in 2016. It kind of makes sense when you think about it. And I would also tell you that I think the election that America should see here, I mean, the real matchup, the one that would have meaning about the direction of this country is Donald Trump versus Bernie Sanders. And I'm not saying that that would be better for Trump or better for Sanders. I'm not even just the, the matchup. If you're looking at what would really be significant about the direction of the United States of America in 2020, I can't believe it's 2020. I keep writing 2019 on everything. Uh, it would be um, it would be Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump. And I think Trump wins on that one. I think Bernie Sanders is in a lot of ways somewhat untested. I think that he hasn't received the kind of criticism from Democrats that he would receive from Trump along the way. The Bernie bros, the Bernie fans are are psychotically devoted to this guy. I mean, they, they Bernie does have a, a cult-like status around him, not for all of his supporters, but there's definitely a group of them who really believe that he's a a look, he's a political revolutionary in a sense who wants to dramatically change this country. Okay, well, if that's the case, uh, then we should really understand what it is that he's going to transform the country into. And that's why when he's asked questions about what will your plan cost? And he goes, it'll cost whatever it costs. It's very expensive. But the millionaires and the billionaires, they'll pay for it. No, we're all going to pay for it. It's going to be incredibly expensive uh, to do what he wants to do, expensive on a scale that we have never seen before. And we're talking about spending money, at least in, in, in overall numbers, in just raw numbers that I don't know if it's ever been done before. And he's just suggesting this is going to be the way that we move forward. I mean, look, Bernie Sanders has been a senator from Vermont, a state with a population of what, like a couple of million. Not a very big place. Not a, not a place of, of tremendous economic dynamism. No offense to Vermont. I actually really like it as a place to visit. But uh, Bernie Sanders taking over the country uh, as the leader of the executive branch is something that we need to really understand could happen. This could happen. And that would be something that the, uh, the, the folks who are generally thinking that politics does not really move the needle all that much for your life one way or the other. You know, I, I believe that there's a, there's a general sense among many of us who either care a little bit or a lot about politics that, you know, it's kind of just we kind of just muddle along. We kind of just it's all going to happen the way that it happens. And, you know, some good decisions and bad decisions. But America's America. will all be fine. I mean, for America to elect someone who claims to be a Democrat, who, who is a Democratic Socialist. And notice how he hones in on that, you know, Democratic Socialist, Democratic Socialist. Okay, so what? Maduro is a democratic socialist. You know, the the socialists of the Soviet Union, all they all thought, I mean, they didn't have elections, but they all thought that they were representing the will of the people. The whole point is that there is socialism, which means centralized planning and state control and state direction of not just, you know, when you can direct the economy and all economic activity, you're also going to be involved in, in people's lives in ways where you have far too much authority, where the state has far too much power. And that's ultimately the problem that we're going to face with a Bernie Sanders presidency. You know, that, that socialism at its core 
has to have a an authoritarian streak, if not be outright authoritarian, because it's not individuals making free. It's not individuals with the freedom to make their own decisions engaged in a market of of conduct where they where they make their own determinations about what's going to happen. In socialism, it's we think we, the people in charge, we, the people that have the power, think that this is what should happen. Therefore, it will happen the way we want it to. That is their approach, and that's markedly different than what we've seen in this country for a very long time. This would be a leap into the socialist abyss. Make no mistake about it. A Bernie Sanders presidency would not be something that you can just say, all right, I'm just going to hunker down and wait four years. You know, What will it mean to your, your 401k, your health care, your retirement, your home value, your, you know? A Bernie Sanders presidency would be a dramatic shift in a way that I'll be honest with you. I don't think a Biden presidency poses the same risks. I think that Biden gives us incremental, traditional, incremental Democrat socialism. Bernie Sanders is like jumping into the deep end of the pool right away on, on Democratic socialism. Bernie Sanders is let's go all. And for those who say, oh, Buck, but the Congress the Congress has to uh, go along with this, too. Well, let's remember, Elizabeth Warren's already saying that student loans will just be forgiven as an executive order through the Department of Education. Think of the ways that Bernie Sanders, especially given the reluctance of conservative judges to do universal injunctions and tie up a Democrat president, look, look at Obama, tie up a Democrat president the way they'll tie up President Trump. Uh, think about what Bernie Sanders, just as, as president, can do that would damage the economy and would have a real effect on your life, regardless of who controls Congress. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Whatever happened to dubstep producer Mark? Remember when that was really? Remember that guy Skrillex with like half of a shaved head and the long hair and the cigarette dangling out of his mouth yes. was considered a world famous musician? It's evolved. It's become it's still just around. No, yeah. It's just now. Now it's just like house and techno music. Yeah, there's a guy e- called I think EDM. I think EDM yeah, is what EDM. the cool kids call it, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, who's Marshmallow? Marshmallow is a newer artist. Someone who could never hurt us. He actually, nobody's ever puff, seen his face. The Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. He wears like a big marshmallow head. Nobody's ever seen his face. Are you serious? I'm completely serious. Do you remember, who's the guy who wore the big mouse helmet? I think that was Avicii. No, it wasn't Avicii, but you're close. It was another, there was another guy who had the mouse helmet. Oh, um. Mm, you know what I'm talking, you know what I'm talking dead about. Dead mouse. Dead, ma- dead, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah dead mouse. Um. So yeah, I remember that was a big that was a big thing. Every every I feel like every five years or so, people discover they they rediscover like super beat heavy electric music, and everyone goes, "Ooh, this is amazing!" But anyway, I, I digress. Speaking of things, you know what I watched last night? I'm gonna tell you, watch a little bit of it. What Buck? The Bachelor. Oh, I was curious. Look, I'm thinking maybe I got to pick up some tips or something. I actually I'm, have I'm a lot of friends that watch married. it, like male friends. Yeah, the wife is very big into it. This is my thing, and I, I wish maybe you know. I think we'll have um, we might have a, a, a couple of our colleagues from the first, some of our new uh, female contributors on. Maybe we'll ask some of them about this because I really do. I don't understand why women like the show because it's a guy who's got all these women sure. who are competing for his attention, 
in a way that is completely uh, absurd compared to the way things go in real. Well, all there's these, also the Bachelorette. Which is the yeah, opposite. no, I don't, I don't even mess with that. I don't even know what that's. I can't. I mean, watching like fifty dudes trying it's to get it's the same thing, but the opposite. Yeah, no, I, I get it. But I'm saying when you watch, women love The Bachelor. They yes. love this show. That I understand why they would love The Bachelorette because it's all these guys vying. I don't understand why women like a show about and that. But you know what? They right? just like reality television. There's so much drama though. They yeah. just they just make it. Everyone's crying. Every, I've heard if you watch it minutes. like it's a sitcom, I've ne- it's hilarious. It's been on for like 20 years, and yeah. so it's this thing, and I've never really. And so I watched it a little bit last night because I was just trying to turn my brain off, and it, it worked, by the way. And he's there's like, I just like, I just don't know why, like you yeah. don't. Like, we're on this journey together. I'm like, lady, you've known this guy for like two weeks and he's mm-hmm. making out with 10 different girls a night. Like, I don't understand how you're so attached. Yeah, watch it as a sitcom. It's hilarious. Yeah. I just like, That's... we're just like, you don't know me like the way oh. that I know you. And like, we're on this journey. And I just like, I just want to trust in my heart and trust in your heart. And like these girls, for these girls are like 24, 25. Mm-hmm. They're, all... they're on it so they can get famous. They make I money. And then here I am talking about it. I know yeah. people are like, Buck, stop talking about The Bachelor. I like, you I know, just. I've made the argument before. Just trying to pick up some tips. Remember Jersey Shore? Yeah. Best sitcom ever made on television. That was a phenomenon for a while. Oh, yeah. Speaking of DJs, remember that guy, uh, DJ Paulie? He he made like $20 million a year for a couple years. He still does. He, um, he still tours. Are you serious? Maybe not that much money, but like- He was making He was just crazy. on Long Island a couple months That's ago. That's one yeah. of the best. By the way, I always say being a TV news anchor, if you're like in the right market and have the right setup, you're like an overpaid, you know, overpaid- uh, person but the best job in the world is to be one of these DJs that makes half a million dollars a night to show up and press press play on their iTunes that's, that's the, not exactly what they do it's kind of what they do no what do they what do they do well they're mixing the, they're like making it live in right? real time yeah. they don't like but no but they, there's no mix table anymore I'm not talking about old school DJs with no, the scratches no. and stuff I'm the talking DJs about DJs that get paid like DJ Pauly D or like those guys they're still doing that huh yeah. All right. I thought they just show up and press it's, play. It's not like, you know, you go to a wedding or a bar mitzvah and, and it's just a guy playing, pressing play and changing the songs. Well, that's what I thought they did. Yeah. They made all this money. All right. Well, I learned something new every yeah. day. Chuck writes in, Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. By the way, you guys have let us know. I, I, I feel like if we get the audience to, to push him on this one, I told producer Mark that we got to create a little thing called like, you know, Mark's, you know, producer Mark's corner or something where he every day he tells us what's on his Buck, mind. We Doesn't... literally had this conversation. I said yes, and then you've forgotten to do it for a week. Well, I mean, you're supposed to remind me of things. Otherwise, I don't even remember when we have like shows unless you tell me. This is part of your job. You what I have to text you every morning. Hey, yeah. come to work. Yeah, come to work. Yeah. So we're going we, to have you come up with a cool name for the producer Mark corner? I, you didn't tell me to come up with well, a name. Well, come up with a cool name for producer right. Mark's corner. And then every I think day. We just already just, came up with we're, one. We're just oh, producer Mark's corner. Yeah. And we're just, because you are in a corner over there. I believe too, in so. the text you said we would call it the curmudgeonly millennial. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. But we could do better. What, 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 should we just call it nobody puts Mark in a corner? I mean, if that's what you would like. <laughs> I technically a dirty da- corner. A dirty dancing reference. Um, yeah. All right. Well, well, we'll come up with a cool name because we want to be able to bring bring in the voice of, of producer Mark officially. I mean, he's in every day, but officially in some capacity toward the end of the show so you can hear what he's thinking about. Um, you know, he can give marital advice, hockey tips, things like that. Hockey tips. Or, you know, like. What do you mean by like, like who's going to win? Want? Oh. Yeah. You know that's you got a Rangers hat on as I'm talking yeah. to you. We've also got to get a little camera for at least just we just a little box. We get producer Mark's a face. A little for the GoPro TV. right above the. Yeah, we throw in a little here. GoPro. We'll we'll make it happen. All right, now we get to roll call because I I know we already played it and we haven't done it yet. 
Teambuck at iHeartMedia.com if you want to send us emails. We love emails. We love Facebook messages. The thing I love the most is when you get new people to listen to the show on uh, Apple Podcasts or on the iHeartRadio app. That's the thing that makes me the happiest for those of you listening. But another thing that makes me happy is when you send in Facebook messages and emails and we get to as many of them as we can on the show. All right. Chuck, not to be confused with Buck. Buck, I know you say so much that it, that is right, it is hard to keep track. Your comment on retained titles is spot on and a worthwhile reminder of the basis of Americanism. One of the best virtues of the American Revolution is all titles were eliminated, not just titles of royalty. We avoided ridiculously pompous revolutionary terms, no comrade, citizen, etc. Simple, straightforward, civil language is the American way. It underlines our principle of being created equal before the law and each other. So for us in a room full of Americans, everyone is properly greeted as Mr. or Miss Chuck from Grand Rapids. Chuck, thanks so much, man. Yeah, obviously, I agree with you. Um, I, I think that we need to stop doing this. I don't know why we still think that it's appropriate to say, oh, ambassador so-and-so. No, you're not an ambassador. If you're still an ambassador, fine. That's your title. You don't keep titles when you don't have them anymore. You know? I, I just, I don't get that. I don't get that. Mark. Uh, Buck, regarding AOC's assertion that Trump is an authoritarian, remember when Trump said that if Congress didn't act, he would? Remember when he said he had a pen and a phone? That is authoritarian defined. That is tyrannical. But that wasn't Trump. That was Obama. Never mind. Shields high. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, I mean, there's clearly a different standard. The media applies to what Trump does and what Obama does. We've known that all along. That's certainly the case. And I just wish that they would uh, give me some examples of how Trump is an authoritarian and not just that they hate Trump and call him an authoritarian because it sounds scary. Uh, yeah. There, there should be a little bit more honest. Uh, but they should be a little more honest about that. Um, hold on a second. Uh, next up here, Noah. Hey, Buck. I heard you say that it's sad that Americans who do not know geography. Uh, sad that American do not know geography. I would like to say that memorizing geography is so fun. I memorize every state and capital. Then I went and memorized every country and capital in the world. And I am fifteen. And it is just sad that politicians are so stupid. Love your show. All right, cool. Um, there we go. Thanks so much, Noah. Well, the man, Noah's 15, and he's learned every every state capital and uh, every country and every country capital. I will say that there was this great game that I used to play with my, really my little brother, who's super smart um, and, and a, a fantastic fellow in every regard. And we used to play this game, though. We had a globe. And it would be like, doo, 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 and then you'd have to, it would say like, you know, Papua New Guinea. And you'd have to poke it on the globe with a little pen. You know what I'm talking about? Buck, how would it go? Doo, doo, doo. Oh, you just, just wanted to clarify that. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I, I mean. It's, I do impressions of a lot of things, including. <laughs> including globes, know, apparently. Including computer noises from the early 2000s. So, uh, but it would say like, it would say a country, you'd have to poke it on the globe. And there was different <laughs> levels of difficulty. And it was a speed thing. So how many could you poke in, uh, you know, in, in, in uh, They had online seconds. games like that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's fun. I mean, it's geography, look, we all sh you should know geography because you don't want to not know because you don't have maps like such as the Iraq. You know what I mean? Do we have we don't we, don't, we should have that clip ready at all times. It's still the greatest. I don't even know what you're talking to talking about. The girl from the pageant with Mario Lopez, where she's like, you know, the Iraqis and South Africa, uh, and yes. they don't have maps like such as. 
<laughs> I get it. She got law. You know, sometimes you're speaking and you're tired or you're nervous. You know, you kind of get a disconnect. When you're on national television, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Used to you it. get nervous, man. You get yeah. nervous sometimes. Um, so that can actually happen. Um, but they don't have maps like such as. That is that is a thing. Uh, the Iraq. Uh, that's one of my favorite clips of all time. Jen. Buck, what is your book list on books one should read on about communism? Books one should read about communism. Uh, Well, you should start with some of the source material. So if you're going to talk about communism, socialism, you must read the Communist Manifesto written by Karl Marx in 1848. Uh, It's not very long. You must read it. That is an absolute, absolute must. You have to read the Communist Manifesto. Um, that's kind of the the ultimate. And look, Mar, there's a whole, a huge host of writings from Marx and Engels and then other socialists. Um, but I would start there if you've never read that. If you're looking for something fun, uh, Animal Farm is absolutely fantastic for a description. It really is a very spot on description of the early days of the Soviet Union in a lot of ways in terms of the factionalism and the changing of the rules and everything. I mean, it's really you can read Animal Farm as a child and get a lot out of it, and then you read Animal Farm as an adult and you get even more out of it. Um, but again, that's not a that's not a serious that's not a scholarly work, but it is a very powerful novel for what it is. And I do think that you can make the case that Orwell is the greatest English language author of the last hundred years. I think that's a, that's a, there's a strong case to be made for that. So yeah, that would be that I would um and more on communism. Like Whitaker Chambers Witness from the American perspective you should read. Uh that's absolutely essential reading on communism and really about communist penetration of the United States and um the way that there were government officials who were communist sympathizers in this country. I would also say read The God That Failed, which is a compilation of seven different former communists, socialists who saw who saw the failures of the system and 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 flipped ideologically and realized what a disaster it was. So yeah, I would say the Communist Manifesto, the God that failed. I think the God that failed, you can just download a PDF all, online. I mean, not that I, I always want authors to get money for what they do, but uh, I think it's right there on uh, if you type in Google the God that failed, it'll show up. That's excellent reading. Um, yeah, I would start there. Communist Manifesto, God that failed, Animal Farm. Um, there's more stuff on the Soviet Union I could talk to you about, but but I, w- I would begin there, and that's a pretty good place. I'm probably leaving some out that I'm going to punch myself later for leaving off this list, but that's a good start. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, now we'll get into the Facebook inbox. Adam... Buck, on yoga, were you able to master the yoga flame from Street Fighter? Being a human a human flamethrower would be awesome. Shields high. Yoga flame. I know what he's talking about. Street Fighter was a great game. I played a lot of Street Fighter back in the day. There was a character whose name I actually cannot remember um, who was a an Indian yoga, like, you know, yoga guru, I guess, or yogi. I don't know, whatever you call somebody who's, like, the best at yoga. And he could extend body parts to like kick you with a foot from ten feet away. It's a pretty pretty creative character in that in that game. Uh, Producer Mark, were you a Street Fighter player? And if so, who was your who was your go to character? I missed that era. 
Oh, you're too like young. The early you uh, Sega versus Nintendo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever played it? It's actually pretty good. I mean, I have, of course, like in in um, arcades and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a traditionalist. I liked Ryu the most. I thought Ryu mm-hmm. was the best. Ken was like a ripoff of Ryu. I'm like, why do we need two of the Were same? Were you characters? a Sega or Nintendo? Both, oh, yeah. dude. I, Both. I, I played mm-hmm. a lot of video games. I just read a book about like the battle. Yeah. Fantastic. What's was, I'll have to get the name for you, but there was a, a battle between Sega and Nintendo. Really? It was a, an amazing book. I never knew all the backstory to it. I didn't know any of that. I don't know any of the backstory yeah. to it. I just, and I'm, I'm somebody to be curious because I played both of those yeah, systems. I, I will uh, get the name of it and, and, and announce to the audience tomorrow. Do, do little kids play video games? I feel like when I think of video games, now I think of adults playing video games. I think of like yeah. I think of thirty-year-old well, dudes playing Call of Duty. Back then, it was really Nintendo was for kids. And Only Sega kids was for adults. Oh, okay, yeah, because because there was a time when video games were a kids' thing, yes. and now I mean, you walk into these video game outlet stores and things where they have all the, I forget what they're called, but you know, t- like GameStop, I think is yeah. one of them, and everyone in there is like in their forties. Oh yeah, video games are a majorly adult thing, but they still make video games for kids as well. Yeah, but I remember I think like, like my still. parents never played video games, right? So when yeah. they saw us playing video games, it was like we were playing with GI Joes, but it was like the sure. same kind of thing. And now you have all these people that are adults that are that are playing these. Well, that's because games, we so. grew up with it. Yeah, and that's why people got mad at me when I said that The Witcher was a bad TV show because they love the video games so much they didn't want to hear that reality. But you know what, producer Mark. I'm here to I'm here to share reality mm. with people. I never played the game either. Yeah, I'm not, more of a sports game kind of guy. What is the greatest sports video game of all time? It's hard to say because they make a new version the, no, every in year. In the time that you played it, you know, for its time. Uh, I mean, I grew up playing like NHL 99 and those kind of games and the, the early Maddens. When you were a kid, they're like so much better. Madden 2004 for me yeah. was the most amazing thing ever. Which, it, taught Madden, me, it taught me football, actually, from yes. playing that game. Madden, what was it, 03 when Vic was on the cover and Vic that's was on the That's what I'm thinking that's about. The that's one, yeah. what I'm thinking about. Yeah, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. That was the best that it. Michael Vick was superhuman in that video game. Yeah. yeah it, it was, was like uh, they, all the uh, old people say Bo Jackson in Tecmo Ball. Oh, yeah. Yep. Bo Jackson was an incredible athlete in oh, his yeah. day. I used, see, this is the thing. I kind of like stopped paying attention to professional sports in the last decade or so. But growing up, I actually I used to go to Knicks games all the time. I, I knew the only one I don't know anything about is hockey, which is why producer Mark has to take me to a hockey game. But the other sports, I actually I actually know. I used to watch a a cartoon with Wayne Gretzky, Bo Jackson, and Michael Jordan. Hmm. I don't even remember what it's called. There was a cartoon where they were like superheroes. It was the three of them. And uh, that was pre-internet when you had to like do stuff like that to get kids interested in sports. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I remember watching that. It was pretty good. It's better than Captain Planet. That cartoon stunk. What is Captain Planet? It was even before I knew that. It was even before I knew that climate change was a hoax. Captain Planet. He's the hero. Gonna bring pollution down to zero. That was the show. Show, I mean, I, show I, suck. I guess it's a nice way to make kids not throw their garbage on the tree. I'm, I'm against littering. Yeah. I think you know. I think littering is for barbarians. Yeah. That said. Climate change is a hoax, and Captain Planet was always like trying to stop commerce from happening. I'm like, it's commerce, yo. Obviously, you never watched Captain America. Captain America is great. Why is he? It's a Marvel. Yeah, I watched Captain America. Oh, you did? Yeah, but you hate Marvel movies. I hate Marvel movies. I love Marvel comics. Ah. I'm a purist, producer Mark. Oh, Uh and so is Team Buck, which is why they're going to send us more messages for tomorrow. Until then, my friends, shields high.